The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We gather in the spirit of one who wrote, Unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. On this day, we welcome you, those listening from afar at WBUR 90.9 FM in New England and elsewhere, those listening later or today on the internet at WBUR.org, and those present in our chancel at Marsh Chapel this morning. We welcome your leadership, your service, your emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves come Sunday, your presence with us here now. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Let's 
May we pray. Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered together in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle teaches us, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. The author of our opening hymn, Bishop Gerald Kennedy, would well regard the writing of Paul Tillich in which Tillich says, the church is always both a representation and a distortion of the divine. We find ourselves growing, becoming, becoming together. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven us. As the choir sings our traditional Kyrie, may we offer our silent words, prayers of confession. Let us pray.
hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. You have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For indeed, our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in responsively reading verses from Psalm 71 with the Antiphon. I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Glory to you, O Lord. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Come summer in the north, we are closer in some ways to nature than we are otherwise. 
You may be listening this morning, toes in the surf or sand, or high up a mountain trail, or along a lake shore, or in the back lawn, coffee in hand. We need the summer to survive the winter. You are wise to embrace it. In the evening hour, with a tenebrous cool after a long, hot day, you may have this summer looked out on a horizon, blue and pink and moving. The day has a beginning at sunrise and an end at sunset. To know the day, you need to know both. As to know a person, you need some information regarding whence and more regarding whither. To know people and to know a people, the far horizon, tenebrous at dusk, is keenly, crucially meaningful. Quo vadis? Where are you headed? Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. A question for those to be married. Where will you be in 10 years from today? A question for those to matriculate. To what end is your education? A question for those entering retirement. Are there now different shores on which to land? A question for those newly diagnosed, suddenly alone, shorn of routine, anxious about the unseen. What is the telos, the end, the point, the soul-forming meaning of your own disappointment, dislocation, or departure? Our gospel affirms lasting meaning in life. In particular, the Gospel of Luke paints a compassionate horizon. The third gospel has a passion for compassion. In a broad compassion, Luke locates our ultimate destination. Today concludes the 10th year of our annual Marsh Chapel Summer National Preacher Series. Our intention in this decade has been to bring the best preachers, the best whether or not best known, to address, either in some indirect or in some more linear fashion, a shared theme. Listen again on the website to some of these past sermons. Consider the gifts of summer in 2007, including the missionary witness of Mark and Lynn Baker. Here again, now Bishop Mike McKee on the call to ministry in 2008. Pick any of the ten sermons on Darwin and faith from 2009, say that of Wesley Wildman. Receive the gospel from now Bishop Ken Carter on the theme of grace in 2010. Hear Reverend Dr. Robin Olson on student ministry in 2011. Or enjoy again the venerable voice of our our saintly now deceased friend and neighbor, Professor Peter Gomes, earlier that year. Learn about New Testament apocalyptic, say with Dr. David Jacobson in 2012. Enjoy the Peter Falk-like voice of Dean Snyder, so wise and true, on Hope in the Church 2013. Reckon with Professor Jonathan Walton, summer 2014, on emerging adulthood. Or reflect again on the beloved community from last summer 2015 with the Reverend Dr. Regina Walton. Ours is a university pulpit, and with your aid, support, and engagement, we shall continue to unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety. Your 2016 series made some news earlier this summer. Our local reporter, Mr. Richard Barlow of BU Today, wrote about the 2016 summer series. The series kicks off Sunday, July 3rd, with the first of seven sermons on Luke's gospel and its central theme of compassion. The Lucan horizon 
as the series is named, seeks to remember the compassion, the passion for compassion, in the person of Jesus the Christ, says the dean of the chapel. The gospel stresses humanitarianism and forgiveness. It's the only one of the four gospels with the stories of the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son, and it is full of sympathetic portrayals of women. This message contrasts with the less than appealing and frankly appalling conditions of some parts of our culture that have been revealed in some rages of our recent experience. The compassion motif also echoes several recent commencement addresses, the dean said, including the baccalaureate talk this spring by Peace Corps Director Carrie hessler Radelette, who called on Boston University graduates to embrace the cause of humanity with optimism and enthusiasm. We could quickly add the magnificent speech given this spring at Boston University Humphrey Scholars Graduation Program, May 9, 2016, by Hubert Humphrey's niece, Dr. Anne Howard Tristani, who quoted her uncle's famous 1948 spellbinding Philadelphia address. There will be no hedging, no watering down of the instruments and the principles of the civil rights program. My friends, to those who say that we are rushing this issue of civil rights, I say we are 172 years late. To those who say this bill is an infringement of states' rights, I say the time has arrived now in America. The time has arrived for our party to get out of the shadow of states' rights and walk forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights. It is both stunning and tragic to recognize how much of what Humphrey addressed then is still with us in this great but troubled land. In today's issues of urban violence and its state-level address or lack thereof, in affordable health care usage or not, state by state, in the lasting, not just lingering, formative power of slavery in the making of the whole of American capitalism, in the willingness or lack thereof of those who have much to provide for others who have little, and in the use of a word like liberty to mean its very opposite, its very denial to tens of millions of poor children. Luke was written nearly a generation later than Mark. By most estimates, Mark in, in or near 70, Luke in or near 90 of the common era, in fact, possibly later still. Traditionally ascribed to Luke the physician, its author and that of its sequel, The Acts of the Apostles, is finally unknown to us. We know him only through the writing itself. What do we find? Luke is made up of a mixture of ingredients. First, Luke uses most of Mark. An example is the memory of our passage today, Luke 13. Like Matthew, Luke knew and repeated most of the earlier gospel of Mark but he made changes along the way or construed the gospel according to his own desires and emphases. This is hopeful for us in that it is an encouragement for us to take the gospel in hand and interpret it according to our time, location, understanding, and need. In fact, we are summoned and ordered to and not free not to do so. Second, Luke uses a collection of teachings called Q, as does Matthew. An example is our Lord's Prayer later in the service. 
Luke's version is slightly different from that in Matthew, as is his version of the Beatitudes and other teachings found in the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. Third, Luke makes ample use of material that is all his own, not found in Mark or elsewhere. The long chapters from Luke 8 or so through Luke 18 or so, where we find ourselves this morning, are all largely his. Examples include some of your favorite parables, like the Good Samaritan, like the Lost Sheep, like the Prodigal Son, like the Dishonest Steward. We have Luke to thank for the remembrance of these great stories. Luke brings us a unique mixture of materials and makes his own particular use of them. What does Luke say? This will take us the rest of the fall and more to fully unravel. We shall do so step by step, one Sunday at a time, one parable, teaching, exhortation, miracle, or as today, one traditional episode at a time. Still, there are some outstanding features of the Lucan horizon, which we may simply name as we set forth. First, Luke displays a commitment to and an interest in history, and an orderly history at that. Both Luke and Acts are cast in a distinctive historical mode. Second, Luke employs and deploys his own theology or theological perspective, including this emphasis upon history and the divine purpose, or better said, divine meaning, in history on this more in a moment. Third, Luke highlights the humanity and compassion of Jesus in a remarkable way. The Christ of St. Luke is the Christ of magnificent compassion embodied in the humility of a birth among shepherds. The poor, women, the stranger, the injured, those in dire need all stand out in Luke as recipients and subjects of Jesus' love, mercy, grace, and compassion. Fourth, Luke carries an abiding interest in the church. Ephesians says that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers. That catches the spirit of the author of the third gospel and of the acts to follow. It is this feature of Luke, the Lucan horizon, the Lucan passion for compassion, upon which our preaching has centered this summer. So we are taught, no history, think for yourself, love the church, have compassion. Compassion in interreligious dialogue framed and formed the sermon by Brother Lawrence Whitney on July 3rd, quote, ritual restrains our tendency toward indifference and causes us to recognize one another. Compassion for those at the margins of society, including those who have suffered in this year's tragic killings of various sorts and in various places, inspired the sermon of Chaplain Jessica Chica on July 10th, quote, the Samaritan does not allow himself to be constricted by rules or fear. Compassion for those searching for meaning and a direct challenge to find such in spiritual inwardness, self-discipline, and struggle gave the heart to Dean Lawrence Carter's July 17th address. Compassion for those of another flock gave wings to his July 24th acclamation, the witness of Gandhi, the voice of King, the advice of Thurman, the wisdom of Buddhism, the mothering of Hinduism, and the stark reminder, it's not Christian belief, but it's realization that finally matters. Not belief, but realization. Compassion and concern for our shared home, our natural habitat, a worthy and frequent theme in this pulpit, 
empowered Dr. Davies' homily on July 31st. Dominion is not domination. Both optimists and pessimists can at least be meliorists. Our children's children will ask questions of us or to us about how we have cared for our shared home, our environment. Compassion of a substantial material, physical, even financial kind, forgive us our debts, carried the burden of the communion homily on August 7th. And last Sunday, beginning and ending with Tutu, probing the power of relational rather than authoritarian power, finding examples in hospitality near and far, the Reverend Susan Schaefer, in the heat of the day, interpreted a tough passage from Luke and a memorable line from our Vice President. The world needs from us not the example of our power, but the power of our example. It happens, perhaps providentially, but certainly in a timely way, that our lectionary readings this year hail from Luke. Toward what horizon are we hiking? Onto what shore do we hope to land? By what compass and map, what star, what conscience call, what soulful spirit shall we be guided? Quo vadis? Whither? Where are you headed? Is yours at twilight a compassionate horizon? Today's gospel, it happens, presents this theme under the cloud of smoke and pillar of fire of a familiar pan-gospel episode. Jesus' compassionate willingness to heal on the Sabbath, to judge the Sabbath by its human or humanizing effect, to forever trump tradition with gospel, and to make religion necessarily subject to judgment in the categories of pride, sloth, falsehood, superstition, idolatry, and hypocrisy. Is religion a good thing? It can be. Is the weather a good thing? It can be. It depends. In our passage from St. Luke chapter 13, the gospel writer has sharply implanted his own emphasis on compassion. The similar Sabbath passages are found in Mark 2, Matthew 12, and John 5. Luke explicitly heightens Jesus' authority by placing him in the synagogue, in the synagogue teaching, and in the synagogue teaching on the Sabbath. Luke changes the gender of the afflicted person from male to female. Luke quantifies the hurt to 18 years of suffering. Luke accentuates the verbal condemnation, hypocrites. Luke connects the healed one to Abraham and amplifies the size of Jesus' legal victory shaming adversaries and causing rejoicing by all. Clearly, this is a story that has developed, that has lived a while, that has been marinating in the sauce of the church's own growth, advance, and expanse. Sadly, there is here the hint, the glimpse, the clear though far off hymn that hails later triumphalism. Not Jesus, the minority view rabbi, arguing uphill against a majoritarian Torah tribe, but rather Jesus, the conqueror, the great debater, the winner of arguments about Torah. We might do well to rehear and rehearse Elie Wiesel's lecture on this from five years ago. One final note about Luke today. The gospel itself and its sibling book, The Acts of the Apostles, written also by Luke, Make heavy use of a short Greek verb, the three letters, delta, epsilon, iota, 
not a fraternity or sorority as far as I know, means simply it is necessary, it is needful. It was necessary, it was needful. For St. Luke, there is a necessity at work in the church's expanding involvement within the culture around, and hence its need for story as legend, for leadership in unity from Peter to Paul, for organizational forms, for bedrock heroes, and for ways of thinking about others and others within others. Yet Luke's spirit is full of compassion. His theology is determinist to some degree. He sees purpose, necessity, even fate, if you will, behind most trees and behind many bushes. You may not see things that way, as many in late modernity do not. So, in interpretation, you will then perhaps need to hear Luke's song of necessity transposed in the key, into the key of meaning. Purpose in the sense of meaning not in the sense of destiny. Not so much God has a purpose for your life as God gives life for your purposes. At Marsh Chapel, we have the privilege to solemnize weddings on a regular basis, especially come summer. You need summer to survive the winter here in the North. There is grace in every wedding. There is unspoken volcanic power in the hearing and speaking of the vows in every wedding. There is real change, which is real hard, heralded in every wedding. A privilege, what a privilege, to be present at the creation, the new creation, of such a moment. In a play, Our Town, Otherwise Precious and Beautiful, Thornton Wilder had his dear New England minister say as he prepared to marry Emily and George, speaking of his own wedding experience, once in a thousand times it is interesting. Friends, that is the very utter, total opposite of my own experience. Over 40 years at 20 or so weddings a year on average I have not reached, but may be closing in on Wilder's number. And everyone in the thousand was not just interesting, but unutterably so. A while ago we married one couple who were standouts in spirit and soul. Their four parents rose to greet them after the vows. Her parents, the mother from Japan and the father from England. His parents, the mother from India and the father from Italy. Buddhist, Methodist, Hindu, Catholic. Sometimes it feels like the world is coming apart at the seams. And then maybe on a warm Saturday you go to a wedding and as every other time in a thousand, it is not only interesting, but unutterably so. This world can work. It may take a little compassion, but this world can work. Which brings us back to the very beginning, your purposes, your horizon, your outlook, perspective, endpoint, and its hope. The author of the third gospel, The Horizon in Luke, is the possibility of a life of faith girded by compassion. Will such a life be ours? Can you sing? My life flows on an endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the clear though far off hymn that hails a new creation. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. 
Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing more? Will you consider? It is offered with love and care. Perhaps reconsider. Maybe accept an invitation to lead a faithful life, to practice, nay, realize the Christian faith, to walk steadily toward a horizon of compassion, a Lucan horizon. Dearly beloved, as we join our hearts and minds in prayer, I invite you to either remain seated, stand, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Our prayers today are taken from a New Zealand prayer book. God of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, you promise to hear us when we pray to you in faith with thanksgiving. We pray for one another, for our families and friends, through whom we learn to love and to be loved. Thank you for all who care for us, Give us grace to serve Christ by serving our neighbors and our community, loving others as Christ loves us. We thank you for the unfailing love you hold out to everyone in Christ Jesus. Comfort and heal those in sorrow, need, sickness, or any other trouble. Give them courage and hope in their distress, and bless those who minister to them. We remember with gratitude your many gifts to us in creation and the rich heritage of our land. Help us and people everywhere to share with justice and peace 
the resources of the earth. Give wisdom to those in authority among us and to all leaders of the nations. We pray for your church throughout the world, thanking you for all who serve Christ and your kingdom. By your Spirit, strengthen your people for their work and witness in the world. Unite us in your truth and love that we who confess your name may also reflect your glory. We remember with thanksgiving all who have died in Christ, and we rejoice at the faithful witness of your saints in every age, praying that we may enter with them into the unending joy of your heavenly kingdom. Merciful God, you look with compassion on all who turn to you. Hear the prayers of your people. Those things, good Lord, that your servants have prayed for, give us grace to work for, and in the purpose of your love, answer our prayers and fulfill our hopes. For Jesus' sake. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Welcome again to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this mid-August morning. Whether you are seated here in the pews, listening at home or in the car or by the seashore or wherever fun place you might be, or at at WBUR 90.FM or at WBUR.org or listening later on the podcast. For those of you who are seated in the pews, we ask that you take part in our ritual of friendship by filling out your name and contact information in the red pads that are located along the center aisle of each pew. This helps us to get to know you better and for you to get to know each other better. After the service, we invite you to all join us for light refreshments and conversation downstairs in the marsh room for our coffee hour. 
And as the upcoming semester hurdles toward us at what feels like an ever-increasing pace, we remind you to stay tuned to our social media pages, both Facebook and Twitter, for upcoming events and information, as well as our website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
God of every good gift, bless these gifts and their givers, we pray, for the ministry of love and justice in church, community, and country, that your compassion may be known throughout the whole wide world. Amen. your benediction, O God, fill us with the fruit of your spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faith, gentleness, self-control. Bless us, we pray in Christ. Amen. Amen.